in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here, the Apostle Paul wants the, the Ephesian church to understand the power and the victory that Christ has won on their behalf. Now, that's a common theme throughout this series on spiritual warfare. You'll often hear me refer to the fact that Christ has already won the victory. He's won the victory over your sin and my sin, over Satan and over the spiritual forces. That's what it means in verse 21, right? He says, Christ, he lifted Christ up far above all rule, all authority and power and dominion. That includes sin. That includes Satan. That includes all things and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then it says, though, this is where I want you to note in verse 23, 22 and 23, that he gave Christ to be the head of the church. That the church is a part of God's plan of redemption. God redeems a people for himself in and through his body, the church. He snatches them away from Satan and creates a new redeemed people to experience all the blessings and the reconciliation into God's family. And Paul, he's praying here that, that the Ephesian church will understand and experience all that victory, which, again, is not as much of an individual victory as it is a collective victory. It's both. See, when we read the scriptures, we often immediately say, what's God saying to me? But in the uh, context, most of the people in that day would be thinking, hey, what's God saying to us? You see, it's a, it's a whole different way of looking at things, and that's really the scriptures are written from a us perspective. What's God saying to us, not just me? And here, the apostle Paul says, hey, Ephesian church, I want you to understand what you have in Christ, that Christ is calling you to victory but it's a collective victory because the spirit-empowered, blood-bought church is God's plan A of extending his kingdom until Christ returns. I think we often neglect that fact. We often don't think of that. But it, the church is God's plan A for, again, taking his victory and manifesting that victory in our communities and across the world. That's what it says here in Ephesians. And so one of the primary ways that you and I will do battle in the spiritual realm okay, and experience Christ's victory is through your church. It's through the church. Now, spiritual warfare, we've been talking about that. And, you know, I know that term warfare, it doesn't really resonate with, with, with folks. And I was almost uh, reluctant to, to use that because only about 10% of the adult population in America have served in the military. So that kind of thing doesn't resonate. Whereas in other democracies like South Korea and Israel, there's mandatory service. But nevertheless, I keep this imagery, even if we, it doesn't quite resonate as it once did, because first of all, it's biblical. But I also think that it reflects that in spiritual warfare, this is life and death here. This is life and death serious. And it's not life and death physical serious. It's life and death eternal life, right? It, hell serious. And so I think that that warfare imagery is important because in war, people die. It's serious. It's deadly serious. So too is spiritual warfare deadly serious. I also think that 
It's appropriate, and that reflects that spiritual warfare, it's bigger than a person. We're not just talking about a bar fight. We're talking about a war that's global, that involves many different people and goes, again, not just here, but everywhere. So I think that's why it's important to understand that concept of spiritual warfare, because, again, this is bigger and this is serious. I think the concept of spiritual warfare also helps us understand the dynamic between the local church and the church universal. Right? This is a war, so it's bigger than any one person. But it's also a war, so it's bigger than any one church. But each church has a specific area and mission in this larger war. Again, I think the, uh, that illustration, it's helpful to understand the relationships between local churches, right? We're on the same side. If you're a Christ-believing church, then we're on the same side. But we have different parts in that battle that we're both, uh, everyone's called to do. Uh, sometimes we even train together, right? You've gone to Christian conferences where churches go together. I was at a uh, Pioneer Valley uh, um, American Baptist meeting the other day, right? We, sometimes we train and gather together and support one another. But yet, we're all a part of that battle, but yet we also have a, a unit <laughs> that we serve in, a unit that we belong to, and we each have a part of the mission. And we each make an important contribution to our unit. And our local church depends on us to be at full strength and to be in fighting capability even as we know that there's other, there's other um, units in this fight. I think of, um, last week I was talking to Mark Lawrence. He's pastor at Stony Brook Church, and many of you know him, he's pastor here, and we we're talking about, hey, when this pandemic's over, maybe we should do some things together and, and all of that, and that's good, and we wanna do that. Right? But we also recognize, yeah, you know, they're Stony Brook, we want them, they're a, a church in South Hadley, for those of you who don't know. You know, we want them to thrive. We want them to do well. We also recognize, yeah, they're called to a certain uh, place and time, and, and, uh, and their unit's going to do one thing, and we're going to do another thing, even as we do sometimes fight together. Uh, an illustration would be, you know, when I was in the military, as you know, I was in military intelligence, and my mission and my platoon, we, we intercepted traffic. Okay, meaning voice traffic. So our job, our mission was, all right, I'm going to eavesdrop on the Soviet forces, and if I hear about troop movements or locations, I report them back, but I do not directly engage the enemy. In fact, if I'm directly engaging the enemy, then I failed in my mission, because that's not what I was called to do. That's not what my unit did. But, and, but there's other people and I was really grateful for this, that if things got, you know, if our artillery started raining down or I had, uh, you know, to interact with, with the folks, that those are the people who actually know how to aim and shoot their rifles to actually hit people. I'm a really bad shot. And they're the ones who directly engage the enemy. But my, that's not my mission. But yet we're on the same side. And I think that helps us understand that spiritual warfare helps us understand, yeah, local churches where I can depend on you, you can depend on me, we got each other's back, you have my flank, all of this, that if I get wounded, like you'll uh, uh, hold me up and, and bring me to the medic tent, right? but yet that there's other units doing other things and we're on the same side. Because the battle that we're in, 
is bigger than any one person. The war that we're in is bigger than any one church. And because of that, too, and now, so that analogy only goes so far, right? That, that warfare analogy, because unlike the military, right, I have to make an oath and I have to follow orders, right? I have to follow my commanding officer. Now, you know, here in America, we're not a cult, so, you know, folks can come to this church, go to whatever church they want, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, and so I can say, you know, with that idea in mind, we have so many folks sitting on the sidelines that you really need to go to be a, to enlist in whatever unit you'll actually do battle in. You know what I'm saying? Which you'll actually fight in. Because this is war. This isn't a drive-in movie. Yeah. I mean, this is deadly serious. And we're on a mission to extend God's kingdom. And warfare takes commitment and it takes trust in the people in your foxhole. And that deep kind of relationship Right, where we're really growing in Christ, we, we need to know one another. We need to be able to keep one another accountable. We need to self-sacrificially give to one another and have deep growth. And for that, that takes commitment. And so unless someone else has found out to have more than 24 hours in a day, right, it means saying, all right, there's a bigger war going on, but I'm joining this unit to fight. And one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is that today we're having our annual meeting where we receive some new members, right? Those new members saying, yeah, I want to fight with Second Baptist Church. This is the unit that I'm called to. And so we're glad to have them, those who are joining. But yes, the battle is bigger than any one person. And the important thing is, is just as you wouldn't think about walking into a physical battlefield alone, you don't engage in spiritual warfare alone. Otherwise, you lose. You lose. To win a battle, you need other people. You need all sorts of different people. Now, the Marines don't like to admit it, but they actually need the Navy. Right? They, won't, they will not admit it, but they need a Navy to give them a ride to where they're going, to, to fight it, to do the fighting. But you also need people on the front lines. You need people doing supply and feeding. And indeed, a combined varied force is more effective and more responsive to the changing battle conditions. Again, if all we have is infantry, what happens with the enemy starts attacking from the air? And again, if you're alone, forget about it. If you're on the battlefield and you're alone, forget about it. Basically, all you can do is hide. Hide and huddle away. But as I read the scriptures, as I read this passage in Ephesians, God has not called us into a spirit of fear, of timidity, and hiding away. God has called us to engage the battle. That there are life and death situations going on here where, where people are, well, I mean, there's no good way to say it. They're going to hell, right? Apart from Christ, they are separated from God. And God has called us to step in and call them in love, to Christ. And so God has done something. Not only has he given us his armor to withstand in the battle, he's also given us supernatural gifts where when we're working together and depending on one another, God does something in us that he can't do just on our own. And the spiritual gifts, that spiritual equipment is one of the ways we do spiritual battle together. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 12. It says this. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I refer to this scripture a lot. You probably know that. And the reason is because it gives a biblical perspective of the church. That's a spirit-filled and interdependent diverse gifts but unified in that all things are being used for the common good and glorifying Christ and advancing Christ's kingdom and that some of these gifts are supernatural where God gives us his spirit and we do things in his power that we can't do on our own and we do it for the common good and so this is a picture of an unstoppable force where the power of Jesus' spirit is defeating sin and Satan at all levels. So that Christ's goodness and his love, it's invading in our communities, it's invading in our church, and it's winning a victory because there's a barrage of love, a barrage of service and supernatural power that caused the enemies of Satan not just to flee, but caused some of the enemies, uh, excuse me, the enemies of God not just to flee, but cause some of the enemies of God to say, wait, no, Jesus is Lord. I've been following the, long, the wrong commander. I want to follow Jesus. That happens when we're truly empowered by the Spirit. This is where I want Sutton Baptist Church to get. I want us to get to this place. But you know, very few churches are able to get to this place. And I've served in many churches. And one of the reasons is the evil one does not want that. Does not want this kind of supernatural resistance. This kind of counter-cultural empowerment. Where we're not advancing through worldly systems and worldly thinking and, and grabbing more power. We're advancing in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ. And that looks so different and so radical from the world that people don't know what's going on. And they can only say something is going on there and it must be God. And so why? Why, does, why is the church Satan's primary target? Because the greater the firepower, the greater the target value, right? If there's just one person hanging around up there, I don't have to worry about him. But if there's a, a cohesive fighting force, all with the same mission, no, that's, that's a threat. And that's why Satan attacks the church. And Satan usually attacks the church by undermining the mission and sowing division. 
Because united we stand, divided we fall, right? And so Satan is looking to divide so that we fall. He's looking to undermine the mission. And so what's the mission? You know, we, we say it's worship God, love people, and grow Christ followers. Different churches say it different ways, but it's basically something to do with that. And so what Satan will do is instead of our mission of worshiping God where God is first, he is worthy to be praised over all things, he will introduce idolatry. So that something other than God occupies that topmost place in our hearts. Or he'll sow division over worship styles. Or uh, instead of loving people, he will cause us to love ourselves. Instead of growing Christ followers, he'll introduce false teaching or sin or, or persecution. He'll undermine the mission. But he will always try to cause division. And he'll try to cause division through several ways. He got, has a lot of ways of sowing division. But one of the ways that he, he sows division is lack of forgiveness and lack of grace. And that makes sense because what is, if we are followers of Christ, what should we specialize in? What should our basic training be so that every soldier of Christ knows, well, I know this, this is basic. It is forgiveness and grace. It's forgiveness and grace because Christ gave his life for our sins. That's grace and, and pours out forgiveness to us. And so if we're not majoring in forgiveness, then Satan's going to use that to bring division. He'll also use our loss of love for one another. And where we put our interests ahead of others, he'll use that to bring division. He'll also use spiritual immaturity that invades the church so that the divisions and the false teachings of the world invade and seep into the church. And so in contrast to that, I think that's why Paul in Colossians, look, this is our final scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, I think the apostle Paul, he points out, he's talking to the church in Colossae, and instead of them being undermined by division, he instructs, you know, this is how you become a unified force of God's love. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to go through a little chunk at a time. He says, put on then. Okay, not the armor, but something similar. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So one of the ways that Satan will bring division and one of the ways we can make sure we're not divided and we are a unified fighting force is a lot of these one another's. And the first is forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. And this can be hard in church because here's the other dynamic going on is that this is a war. We're in a spiritual battle. So you know what that means? There's wounded people. There's broken people. And yes, we are, we are pursuing healing. But the church is a hospital for sinners. And therefore, you will be hurt by others in your church family. We don't want that, but that's the fact that this is a hospital for sinners. 
And if we are going to exhibit Christ, you know where we start exhibiting him? In our closest relationships. Yes, in our families. We'll talk about that on Valentine's Day. So yes, forgiveness is in our families, but it's also in our church because Satan will take a loss. I mean, he'll, he'll take, a, excuse me, he'll take a small victory in that, oh, you sinned against a fellow church member. He'll take that small victory and he seeks to double it. You want to know how he doubles it? By then putting unforgiveness in your heart, in my heart, so that in, instead of exhibiting this countercultural forgiveness where we actually help one another heal, we're just like the world. Oh, you offended me, so I'm out of here. How do we expect to grow in forgiveness and grace without forgiving, without showing grace? So we pray, God, grow us in grace and forgiveness. And then he presents us an opportunity. We should look at it like that. An opportunity to forgive someone. Like, nope, can't do that. So Satan seeks to sow division by us not walking in Christ's forgiveness. But again, I know I, I, we should expect more. Like we, sh we should expect that, uh, you know, fellow Christians will treat us nice and never make mistakes. But that's just, that's not how it is. We are a hospital for sinners. And so if you come and you bring your baggage, you bring your hurts, you bring your wounds, yes, we'll help you heal. But the only way we're going to help you heal is if we're a people who forgive, who know how to forgive and bring that healing. The other way Satan seeks is, well, let me, is, um, again, losing our love for one another. So look at verse 14 of Colossians. Apostle Paul, again, instructing the church in Colossae on how to avoid, just be a church that's on fire for God, avoid division. Verse 14, and above all, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see, Satan often will, will seek to cause us to put our own interests above others. But here it says, you know, love, you know, above all, put love for one another. Love one another. So forgive one another. Love one another. You know, when it's every man for himself... That sows division. But if it's everyone is sacrificing for the greater good and the bigger purpose, that builds trust and unity. I was listening to a, a missionary who, as a child, his parents were missionaries and they served in the Philippines. Oh, and then when Japan invaded and took over the Philippines, he was in a prisoner of war camp. And one of the things about the prisoner of war camp is that, the, um, again, the Japanese forces, they didn't care if people died. So if you were sick and starving, like unless you came to the, to the chow line, you didn't get any food because they don't care if you die. And so what he talked about was at his prisoner of war camp, they actually made it through the war with less casualties than anyone else. And they actually were full, well not full, but they had a hope that carried them throughout the war. How? How did they do that? Because... Instead of it being every person for themselves, do you know what they did? Is that the, those, even though they only got a tiny bit of food, not even enough for themselves, each one would sacrifice a little bit of their food and bring it to those who were so sick they couldn't come to the, the line. 
And because of that self-sacrifice, it filled them with hope. It filled them with purpose. And they got through the war with much fewer casualties than many of the other camps. One of our most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare is self-sacrifice. One of our most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare is self-sacrifice. Now, why, would, why does that surprise us? Well, because it's countercultural, but it shouldn't surprise us because how did Jesus win the victory over Satan? Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. That is a weapon that breaks down the gates of hell. Self-sacrifice. And it is so countercultural. It is so countercultural it, it, that it, again, is one of the most powerful weapons in our arsenal. It's how Jesus defeated Satan and our sin. And so it's how we also step into victory. And then the final thing in, in, in verse 16 of Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay, we teach one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We also teach one another. We learn from one another. Okay, this one another concept where instead of spiritual immaturity invading the church, we help one another grow. We help by, by teaching and admonishing, encouraging one another. We don't let one another just stand still. We help one another advance. We help one another in the battle. So when I read this scripture in Colossians, I'm like, what a picture. What a picture of church members putting on the fruit of the Spirit, a church unified because of forgiveness, self-sacrificial love is, is a part of the DNA, and they're growing in the Word and, and spiritual maturity. I mean, that's the type of church that not only withstands spiritual attacks, that's the type of, of church that advances God's mission and causes great victories in God's name. So yeah, the bad news is that the church is the primary target for Satan. He wants to take us out. He'd prefer to have us divided and prefer to uh, have us just kind of pursuing comfort instead of pursuing Christ's victory. So that, that's the bad news. But the good news is that in the body of Christ, God has given us himself. He's given us victory in Christ. He's given us his spirit so that we can move in spirit supernatural ways. And he's given us one another. He's given us one another so that when you fall, there's someone to pick you up. So that when you're struggling and discouraged, there's someone who will bring encouragement to you. So that when you say, I can't, I don't have the skill set to do this. I don't have the gifts to do this. A fellow church member comes and says, well, I'll do it for you. Or I'll show you how to do this. And in the midst of that, in that forgiveness, that self-sacrifice, God's kingdom is advancing and changing the world, changing our families, changing our church, changing our community so that 
God is truly glorified. So you cannot do this alone. We cannot fight this spiritual warfare alone. But you don't have to. You don't have to. So if you don't, we have people who watch online and uh, you know, maybe you're not a part of a local church. We'd love to have you here at Second Baptist. But if you can join the battle somewhere else, somewhere else you know that this is where I can really do the battle, then by all means, join the battle there. But by all means, join in the battle. And join in the battle because you already have the victory in Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful for, first of all, Lord, you and your victory and how we don't need to cower in fear. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the example of how, as a Christian, to fight. We fight with self-sacrifice. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you've done that in us and through us and among us. God, I pray that if there's any watching and don't understand that your sacrifice, that they would place their faith in you. And God, I, uh, we thank you for one another. We thank you for our church. We, we pray, Lord, that we would grow in forgiveness and love and, and teaching one another. All these things that we saw, Lord, we would grow in this so that we would be, Lord, a, a well-oiled machine uh, fighting the battles and extending your kingdom. Thank you, God, for including us in all that you do. May we represent you today and tomorrow. Lord, thank you for each church member. Thank you for the gifts that you give so we can serve one another in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.